welcome to Selling CBD. I'm your host, Thomas Malloy, Senior Editor with C-Store Decisions Magazine and Editor of CBDRetailTrends.com. Today we'll be talking about CBD compliance and legal issues. Our thanks today to 4th CBD and Solari Hemp for providing our very knowledgeable guests on the topic. And thanks to you also for joining us. Let's dive in. So my guest today uh, for our CBD compliance podcast, uh, I've got uh, Chris Howard, who is Vice President and General Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer with 4th CBD. And we're also joined by Daniel McGee, who is the Chief Legal Officer at Solari Hemp. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being here today. Uh, the reason we really wanted to do this and bring you two in here is because um, there's a lot of talk, uh, I guess, uh, amongst retailers of, um, you know, we hear the whole the whole term, you know, it's the wild, wild west and all this other stuff because CBD is so new and it's, you know, on the rise and all that stuff. Uh, and we just want to try and clear some things up and get some reputable folks in here who know the business, who know the legal end of it and uh, can help those retailers out. And uh, you guys seem to fit the bill pretty good. Um, just real quick. Can I get uh, just some of your background, Chris, can you give me your background first and uh, you know, how long you've been doing CBD or how, how you got into this and all that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. So um, uh, it's Chris Howard and um, I represent fourth CBD, which is sold by E alternative solutions. It's a sister company of Swisher. Um, before this, I, I was with um, several different companies, but in particular that might be relevant here. I used to do product liability work for Reynolds tobacco. And then more recently, about eight or nine years ago, I joined Lorillard uh, tobacco company. We acquired uh, blue, blue e-cigs and I ended up moving on to become general counsel and chief compliance officer for, for blue. And after that, I ended up at, at E alternative solutions and selling both vapor products um, and, and now CBD products. Okay. And uh, uh, Daniel, can you tell me a little bit about your background? I know you had uh, give me some information. You you are an attorney. Um, yes. Chris, you're an attorney as well. I take it. Yeah, right? that's right. That's yeah, right. Of course, of course, you're general counsel. What, what's wrong with me? Um, and uh, just give me a little bit of your background, Daniel. Sure, my background um, mainly for this space. Um, many years ago, I was associate general counsel at Swedish Match General Cigar. I handled all of General Cigar's business while I was there. It was their legal business while I was there. Uh, then they subsequently got bought out by Scandinavian Tobacco Group, and I was made general counsel of Scandinavian Tobacco Group for the Americas. And then back in 2017, I had actually joined Blue uh, and stayed with them for a few years. And I'm currently representing a company based out of Colorado called Solari Hemp. Um, so I've had kind of a full panoply of experience in, in right. different areas of the law. It's mainly been tobacco, a lot of tobacco work, a lot of, um, I was in the vape space for a number of years and now most recently into CBD. I think there's a, there's a lot of corollaries between the tobacco market and I think in the CBD market. Um, and we're, I think I've seen more of that as, as I stay longer in the CBD space, which I should have said earlier, I've been in there for about a year and a half now. Okay, right. I was going to say that too. That there certainly is a lot of corollary there. Um, I guess what, what we'd really like to, to to tackle first, I think, is um, quality of product is a really big issue now, and uh, a lot of retailers they just I don't want to say they're scratching their head, but they're trying to figure out, you know, how do I know what's good? How do I know what isn't? How do I know a reputable vendor? I mean, how how do I know these things? Does uh, when you want to jump in and you know kind of just give us a little guidance there? 
Sure. I mean, I'd be happy to, Chris, if you don't mind. No, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you've hit on a very good good point, Tom, is what is out there? There is, I, I, I think, I'm not too fond of the term the wild, wild west, but I do think there is there's room for improved regulation in the space. I think a lot of the retailers that we have come in contact also have the same questions and it sounds like you, your audience says is, what's a good product? What isn't a good product? What should I be looking for? And how do I go about determining that information? Um, I've put together a slide, which I'm happy to share with your group there. Um, just kind of a quick synopsis, trying to figure out who the vendor is, um, who they are, what their management team looks like. Do they understand their products? That's probably the biggest one is do, does the folks you're buying your products from actually understand the products? And we'll, we'll make this uh, slideshow available. I appreciate that. Afterwards, because we, we are in, a, in an audio only podcast, but yeah. we will make that available. Uh, there'll be a link um, up on the website along with the podcast for you guys. So, for, for, so some of the other things, is, and I think we'll, we'll talk more about this as we get into our discussions, you know, taking a look at the products that you're looking to purchase, what type of claims are those manufacturers making about those products? Do they, are there clear, is there cl- clear language on the packaging or on the, and on the point of sale materials indicating what is actually in, what is actually in their product? Um, I think you also would look to maybe even going back a step further, maybe from who you're purchasing it from, getting to know that manufacturer a little bit as well. Do they have their COAs in place? Is there a QR code on their on their product? Can you look at those? Can you look at those COAs in a readily available format? I know a number of the states are requiring that at this point, um, and I think it's going to become pretty much you know the gold standard of having some sort of a code QR code on your product packaging that you can go and take a look at, at the batch of product that you're looking to purchase. And And for the listeners, let let them know what a COA is. COA, uh, certificate of authenticity, a certificate of analysis, excuse me. Okay. Certificate of analysis, I apologize. But some of the things you're looking for in those COAs, you'd be looking for like, we do testing. It's something I, I know Chris's company does as well. We test every lot. And so that information is readily available to the consumer. I think that's what the consumer, I mean, I know our, our retailers are asked for questions, but you know, we've talked to our consumers as well. They want to know where does this product come from? Where did this emanate from? Where did the raw materials emanate from? Was it tested? What type of testing was done? What type of testing should you look for? I mean, I, we looked at, I mean, in our COAs, we have heavy metals, pesticides, residual solvents, micro, potential microbial agents, and we're looking to see what the, the potency level of the materials are. How much THC is there in the product? Right. So those are just a few of the questions. I think you, buying the product sight unseen, not knowing where you're getting the product from, I think is a very bad idea in this category. You got to know your product. You got to know your vendor and get to understand where the, the manufacturer and the source of their product. And as you said, you know, that's something that the consumer is worried about, but it's that the retailers worried about that as well, because they're the conduit and they're serving their customer and they want to provide the best product that they can um, yeah. just because it's good business. It's smart sure. business. And so, I mean, that this is something that um, I think a lot of retailers aren't aware just what these things are. And I, I'm hoping we can shed some light on that for them. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think going back to your original point is, is it's getting to know the product and making sure that the product is coming from a reputable vendor, a reputable source. The information should be readily available 
on the on the manufacturers or the vendors uh website uh, and it should be stuff they're not tremendously comp the coas are not tremendously complicated to look at you do not need a scientific background to understand them pull them up they're pretty right. straight line straight line forms straight straight line uh, I think, you know, Daniel, I think it's a, it's a great point, you know, because you can imagine if you're at the retail channel, you're not used to asking for certificates of analysis yeah. or of compliance and that sorts of things. And, and really, you know, what that COA does is it tells you that you're getting what you think you're getting, right? Yes. It matches, it tells you what your CBD content is, which should be already described on the label and does that match. And, and what, what makes a COA more valuable than just hearing it from the mouth of the vendor is that the COA is often um, is put together by an independent third party. So it's not just the vendor saying what you want to hear or building something for you, you know, just to meet your expectations, but rather you've got an independent source here that's confirming that what the vendor says is, is true. And so in my opinion, the COA is, is probably the most critical piece of, of ensuring that the quality of the product, for lack of a better term, I mean, it covers all of those things that Daniel mentioned, and, and I completely agree. And, and I just want to emphasize one thing, because I agree with everything Daniel said. I mean, we are in a, in a strange time. I mean, I, I think that you know, Wild Wild West, unfortunately, as much as I don't like that term either, it is a little bit um, accurate. Um, the situation is, is analogous to the vapor industry 10 yeah. years ago, when I can vividly remember questioning if someone was making e-liquid in their bathtub versus making it in a sophisticated facility facility with CGMPs in place and all that. Uh, and, and we're there now, again, with CBD. And there are a lot of um, unsophisticated players out there that will do or say anything simply to get their product on the, on the shelf. Yeah. And so what I often recommend is exactly what Daniel was saying. Get to know who you're dealing with. Visit that facility for a tour. Find out who's on their team and what their background is. What do they do to ensure the quality? Uh, do they have good manufacturing practices in place? And is there someone there that can educate you regarding what they're doing? I mean, there's a series of questions, and I know we're going to talk a little bit later about is it good to have in-house expertise to help you navigate these sorts of things? And my answer is obviously going to be 100%. I mean, definitely. Um, but but ha developing that relationship with your partner as opposed to just signing up and taking product from them without really knowing, it's it's critical in terms of uh, trying to avoid the pitfalls from vapor before and to making sure that you, you get what you're paying for now. And I think we really have to underscore for the retailers, do not be afraid to ask for this information and, and, and ask for those visits too, to, to, to visit sure. the manufacturing plant. And, and if they don't, if, if whoever you're dealing with doesn't want to come across with this information or seems reticent or hesitant, I mean, that would, that I think is a red flag, is it not? No doubt. No Absolutely. doubt. I mean, we have brought uh, certain retailers with us to our manufacturing facilities um, just so they could understand and see it's a good educational tool for them too, right? We want to do our part to to build something that is more sophisticated and ready for FDA regulation and the states that are already regulating. Um, and so if somebody re refuses that, well, uh, <laughs> then then that's probably not a partner you want to deal with. Right, right. Now, and real quick, and I know this is this is out of order on uh, the the actual agenda, but I mean, this kind of shifts directly into um, like training staff and things of that nature, educating staff. I mean, is this something where your your companies will bring an entire staff or several members down to see things to kind of get them uh, immersed in 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 the product and all the info and all that kind of thing? 
Yeah, I mean, it's stuff that we, I, I can tell you over the past, I've been with the company, it will be a year in July. Um, we have done that in the past. Uh, actually, you know, the COVID-19 has not helped us out at all in trying to do those type of tours. Right. Yeah, right, that is something right. I would, I mean, even from my, uh, from my cigar days, there was nothing like taking a customer through your factory and showing them the product from finish to end. This, you can't replicate that. You cannot replicate that. So I think it's imperative to you. You do need to get your, particularly your better customers. You got to get them in there, show them what you're making. See how they can see how the, they can see how the product is made too. And then we can better educate them about what CBD is or what industrial hemp is, how these products can benefit them and can benefit their bottom line quite candidly. There's a lot of competition out there, as you all know. I mean, it is a saturated market right now. So I think the distinctions with difference, I hope to see will be with companies like Solari and like Forth, who have taken the times to put together. I know we have, uh, we do have training materials. We are actually just pushing out, I was just reviewing before this call, pushing out uh, short uh, video presentations, one minute, two minute pieces that can be shown directly to your staff, like pick a topic, farming, for example, or how to read a COA. We're, we're trying to come up with, as we get, because we do get calls from our retailers. Can you provide us with training information? Can you get somebody to come in and uh, talk to our folks and educate our folks about these products? And the answer is, yeah, we try to do it. I mean, if we can't do it on the phone, we'll try to do it by video. And if we can't do it by video, we'll do it by phone. But was yeah. that one of those calls that just came in there? <laughs> yeah, it, it was, you. actually. <laughs> you couldn't have had a stage manager do that. <laughs> do that better. Uh, anything else to add in there? Uh, just to build on what Daniel's saying, I completely agree, again, with what he's saying. The, the other upside of ensuring that you're – your in-house staff is, is trained. And I, by that, I mean your sales reps, you know, your management. I mean, first of all, you, you want everyone to sort of have a common base of knowledge to be able to answer the questions because if they don't know what they're selling or how it works or, or what the expectations are, then that's, that's not leading to an effective, well-rounded strategy. But, but just as importantly, um, with sales reps and people that are on the front line in particular, you don't want them to inadvertently take actions which are out of compliance. And so explaining to them the current FDA positions the state laws where they operate and I mean all of that uh, it only comes through training I mean if you're not delivering these messages in some manner um, you can't you can't count on all of your own employees or the ultimate the customers the retail channel to to do that on their own and so if you if one of the goals that we have and I know that Daniel's company is the same is to try to try to avoid what happened with vapor before and and, and uh, we don't want that sort of um, onerous regulation like, like the vapor vapor category faces now. And the only way you can do that is by getting ahead of it and making sure that everyone's following the rules and, and trying to do it in a, in a sophisticated way. And yeah, there, you know, Chris, you hit on a really solid point too, which is, is, is exactly just that. I mean, the regulations, I know we're going to talk about this, maybe we could segue into this. I mean, regulation is a huge component. I mean, Chris and I both came out of vape, Chris was tobacco. So we have seen the panoply of federal regulation when it comes to tobacco and to vape. And quite candidly, you know, I mean, I, I don't know exactly where Chris's position is on, on all of these regulatory issues, but I think we're probably on the same page when it comes to federal regulation. We need to see something. 
this has been just a promise and a whim that seems to have been going on for months months and months now. It's just, it's frustrating, in particular for practitioners like Chris and myself, who try to provide solid guidance to our internal teams and to our customers and our external stakeholders. It's very difficult to do so in this environment. You've got a real, it's a gray area. And states are taking on regulation of this product, oftentimes not necessarily in contravention, but in sometimes kind of stepping up above and beyond what the agency is currently doing. Well, that doesn't lead to good, as far as I'm concerned, it just doesn't lead to good regulation. It leads to a patchwork quilt of regulations across the U.S., which is what we have right now. It's yeah. just very clumsy for the retailers, and it's just, sure. um, you know, that, that, and it's not so much the regulation, I think, I don't think they mind the regulation, it's that they want consistency, and they want to know what the rules are, and they can't constantly be shifting, and yeah. I think that's the problem, is that, that that uncertainty is really, really a difficult uh, hurdle. Well, and you know, it's a deja vu moment here, and yeah. I completely agree with you, Daniel, and what happened before, and I, I'm not... I'm not one to criticize FDA. I recognize they have different priorities and, and I know Daniel's not like that either. Um, and, and they're probably, they're not just sitting back, I'm sure. However, the longer that, uh, the more time that passes without regulation, the more comfortable some of these outlier players get, get in the industry and they break the rules and they use kid-friendly things and they do all kinds of things and until it's too late. And then FDA tries to get to step in, the only choice they have is to really bring the hammer down. That's what we face with the whole jewel scenario and in vapor. And the longer we go, the more of these sort of cowboys show up, and yep. and it becomes much different, uh, much more difficult to sort of get get things under control. And and my biggest fear is that because of I'll call it a delay, and because we have really very little certainty outside of a couple of statements from FDA where we haven't even seen that much um, enforcement. Um, you know, we're kind of following the same the same path here. And, and that's that's worse for everybody. They're the industry, it's worse for the manufacturers, it's worse for the consumers. I mean, everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's just this, it, it's, not, it's not a critique of the FDA itself. It's just the fact that we need something at some right. point. We've, I've lived through what happened to me. It's a, it eviscerated an industry. I mean, you, so I, there, need to, there are bad players in the industry. I want to say my company is not a bad player. I don't think Chris's company is a bad actor. And but you can't play like by Chris, the rules if you don't know what we they play are. By the, we, we play by the rules, but what Chris, Chris, and I, Chris is being modest, too, in the standpoint that companies like Ford, companies like Solari have gone above and beyond when it comes to this. We have taken steps to effectively self-regulate. In, right. in light of no regulations, or not no regulations, but in light of very few regulations being in place. It's frustrating, again, for a practitioner, it's frustrating when one state who might have a reg- pretty streamlined registration process, I'll say from like Utah, you product register your products and you're good to go. Other states, whose names I won't mention, I've been in discussions with them for six, seven months to try to get products registered. It's it's hard. I mean, it's just you're dealing with folks in certain states and many states who have very little background or base knowledge with respect to the hemp industry and whether or not these products should be allowed on the market, whether or not these products are fit products are fit for consumption. It's it's a tough it's 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 very difficult to navigate, but I think yeah. we're doing our best in a very difficult situation. We're trying to set what I would consider to be a gold standard of how we go out and manufacture, how we go out and market, and how we go out and ultimately sell our product. 
we've seen a lot of junk over the past couple of years come up in the CBD market, and the FDA has rightfully gone after those bad actors. I mean, they've been silent for the past couple of months, but you know, in the, since April, three letters have gone out. Namely, one of them, I think the last one was attacking one CBD company or going after one CBD company who was making claims that CBD was, could be used as a preventative or cure-all for, for CBD. I mean, for, excuse me, for the COVID-19. That's horrible. We don't want that right, stuff out right, there. Right. That's the stuff we don't want on the market. Absolutely not. We'd like to have good, we need some level of regulation. We need a level playing field. Just like, I think tobacco is more instructive as to what they did in the tobacco market than what they did to vape. Well, hopefully that's going to change and they're going to get that together because um, it's, it certainly needs it. And this is certainly a burgeoning uh, industry and uh, marketplace. And a lot of folks swear by uh, using CBD products too. So I think there's value there for the consumer as well. And there's value there for the retailers. And, you know, I, it just, it just has to, for just for good business, good commerce and good service to, to all of our citizens, I think they're going to have to get that together. Yeah. I mean, I think at some point we'll see something, Tom. I mean, it's just, again, I think the agency is inundated with trying to deal with this health pandemic that we're currently dealing with right now. So I don't fault the agency in that regard, but we do need to have something. We had a a public meeting back in May and, you know, we're in June now. We haven't seen any regulations drafted at this point. Um, It's just, it's, we got to get something on the table. Okay, so we're winding down on our time here, but real quick, I wanted to, to at least address this really quick. There's, there's this confusion over uh, CBD as a food additive, and can you guys give me some, just clear that up just a little bit, or is it, is it a case where um, it's technically not legal, but it's just not being enforced, or are there certain thresholds of, of CBD allowed in certain products? Can you clear that up for us? And look, it's, it's interesting because it comes back to what Daniel was saying. There's been very few communications regarding this topic of whether or not CBD can be contained in, in ingestible products. Um, what we do know is a statement made by Commissioner, former Commissioner Gottlieb uh, before he left uh, the, the office where he said that those products, ingestible products containing CBD, are not compliant. Very explicitly said that. Later, we heard that the agency was not, quote, um, exercising enforcement discretion. So even though we want to say as a practical matter they're not enforcing, they've made it clear that they, at least it's not their intent to exercise enforcement discretion. But if we really look at the practicality, what is happening in in real life, well, FDA is clearly doing one thing that they said they were going to do, and they're focusing on on those who make therapeutic claims. Every warning letter, I believe, every warning letter that's gone out related to CBD, certainly in the past year, has been, at least at the focus, it's been um, about therapeutic claims. And I'm talking about the big Cure Leaf event and some of the other ones there. They all talk about therapeutic claims, and then other things seem to be added in. Um, That said, we haven't seen them act on ingestible products which contain CBD, like the the, the, uh, gels and the gummies and the capsules and that sort of a thing. It doesn't mean to say that it's without risk. You never know what could happen, especially with a politically charged topic like this where enforcement could happen overnight. I'll go one step further. Um, Some states have enacted very uh, specific rules regarding ingestible products. And I would say that not all of them have refused to enforce. And so, you know, it is not, um, it's not an easy area to navigate. Uh, By no means am I saying that no one should be out there. uh, You know, no one should sell any ingestible products containing CBD. I mean, I don't think that's, that's the answer here, but you can't ignore 
the risks associated with that with that category because as it is now uh, enforcement could happen on the on the turn of a dime yeah yeah i i, w- I would echo chris's comments on that i think enforcement to the extent that there has been enforcement we we've seen these letters go out uh, a number of them in november of last year and then I think I was looking at the FDA website in anticipation of this call. I think there have been three letters since April. However, again, it, 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 enforcement has been, for lack of a better word, sporadic. I think that's a good way to put it. It's yeah. sporadic. Definitely. And, and you know, in looking at some of the statements, particularly from um, Dr. Abernathy, I mean, they're looking for the bad actors. I really do think they're going after the bad actors to make examples out of them so that companies that are making outrageous form and function claims or claims that the products are panaceas, cure-alls that you know can relieve every ache and pain or bot from your body. I think they're going to go after those companies. And I think they should go after those companies. Those are the companies that are not helping this industry to grow. We have a really good opportunity here. We have a great opportunity here to put out a product that is enjoyed by our consumers, that our customers, meaning Chris and mine, our company's customers want to sell, want to get it in the market, but that we do need to see some sort of federal regulation in order to clear up the patchwork regulation that we've got in the United States. Again, some consistency. Yep. And real quick, just before we wrap up, as far as legal representation, for, for many of these smaller uh, chains um, and smaller shops uh, who aren't going to be able to have someone on staff full time all the time, I mean, what, what's their, what are their options as far as legal representation? I mean, should they, should they have their regular counsel handle this or is it, say, are there specialists that can handle it for them or should they have their regular counsel find a specialist? What do you guys, what's your, your insight I'll on I'll say that? this. I mean, I, I think, look, it's, it's to have outside counsel, particularly sophisticated outside counsel that's helping analyze all 50 states' laws. I mean, that is super expensive. I mean, in the long run, that's going to be a lot pricier than having someone on staff, lawyer or otherwise, that can become familiar um, with the, the various laws that apply to the category and can have those sorts of discussions one-off uh, and attend the events with the outside counsel who specialize in all this. So in my view, it's building in-house expertise is a more cost-effective strategy, even for the smaller companies. If you don't have that capability, um, then, you know, you've got to do your best to keep up and listen to podcasts like this one and, and attend some of these seminars that on CBD and the emerging trends. I mean, that's probably your next, next best bet if you, if you don't have an in-house uh, specialist or a lawyer. Right. Yeah. I, I would agree. I mean, to the extent that you can get somebody trained up internally to understand the laws of the 50 states with respect to the sale and marketing of CBD, manufacture of CBD, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. So, I mean, probably like, I mean, we do lean on expert outside counsel as well. There are a lot of smart, intelligent attorneys out there who just specialize in this kind of like Chris and I, I mean, this is, we are CBD experts and, and industrial hemp experts because this is what we deal with day in, and, day out. And so that staff extent, person, a, go ahead. Sorry. That, that staff person doesn't necessarily have to be an attorney themselves. They could be a conduit to, to your representation. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, agreed. I mean, a compliance specialist, a regulatory officer, somebody who is who can 
get into the codes and get into and to understand and better understand how these how these products can be sold, marketed, manufactured. And to keep track, because, right? Because yeah. the things change so fast. If you rely on outside counsel, you're going to be literally giving them a blank check for new uh, guidance every wow. every week. Whereas because, people like Daniel and I can sort of follow along. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a legal specialist. I mean, just someone who's, you know, uh, that, that can follow the regs and, right. and, make, and understand the trends. And uh, it's, it's worth the investment. Excellent. Right. Especially for, for those small chains, they've got to have something and they can't, you know, it's, as we said, it's, this is a lot of this is new territory for them. And, um, you know, hopefully we've helped them figure some things out. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for your time today. You. Really, really insightful stuff. Uh, it just, I really think that um, folks are dying to be educated on this. So these, the, the, the retailers, they, they really want to learn how they can, they can, serve their customers uh, selling CBD products, but they want to stay within compliance. They want to stay within the law. They want to do the right thing and they want to provide a good product. And I think uh, hopefully today we've helped them out a little bit with that. Um, and I know your both of your websites, uh, the fourth website and the Solari website, I, you've both got some great educational stuff on there. Yes. Um, and I encourage any retailer to take a look at that, at, uh, all the information on those sites. It's really, really well laid out. It's well done. So, um, Hey, Tom, I'd like to thank you for putting this together today as well. Um, I think these these type of podcasts, these type of webinars are critical, particularly for some of the smaller retailers who may not have the capabilities or the or the funds to bring somebody in-house. And, you know, we're Chris is probably just like me. We're happy to talk about these things. So the, to the extent that the FDA puts out any new guidance or states, critical states start to put out new guidance, I mean, I'd, I'd love the opportunity to come back and talk with you folks again, too. Well, I thank you both for being here. I really do. I know you're busy and, um, you know, taking your time out uh, just to talk to us today. Uh, my guests, folks, have been Chris Howard, Vice President, General Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer with Fourth CBD, and also Daniel McGee, who is the Chief Legal Officer with Solari Hemp. Gentlemen, thank you again. Hope you have a terrific weekend. And, um, you know, just keep on doing what you're doing. And hopefully we'll get that consistency in regulation. And uh, a lot of uh, consumers will be able to take part uh, in CBD products and, you know, feel better and do better and the uh, retailers can turn a buck too. So that's yep. what it's all about. Definitely. Thanks a lot, Tom. Thanks, Thanks Tom. guys. And that's going to wrap up this edition of Selling CBD a podcast of CBDRetailTrends.com and C-Store Decisions Magazine. Many thanks to the good folks at Solari Hemp and 4th CBD for providing our highly knowledgeable guests today, Chris Howard, Vice President, General Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer with 4th CBD, and to Daniel McGee, Chief Legal Officer at Solari Hemp. Thanks to those gentlemen for taking time out of their busy schedules to join us today. And thanks to you for listening. For C-Store Decisions and CBDRetailTrends.com, I'm Thomas Malloy. I'll see you next time.